0: This is Hannah Nordby, the Adams County Agriculture and Natural Resources County Extension Agent, and you're listening to Agriculture Applied, Innovate, Relate, Create with NDSU Extension. Today, I'll be sitting down with NDSU Extension Specialist, Joel Ransom. Joel works to develop educational programs for farmers and conduct applied agronomic research that addresses production issues in corn, wheat, barley, and oats, and compile variety and hybrid selection guides for these crops based on the results of statewide testing. He is the NDSU Extension agronomist professor with an emphasis in small grains and corn. He has received national recognition, being awarded the National President's Volunteer Service Award. Joel brings a unique perspective to the table with his international agriculture experiences grab a cup of joe and settle in to ponder innovative ideas and reflect on generational changes when it comes to sharing agriculture's story. You're not going to want to miss out. Alrighty, well everyone, I am sitting here with Joel Ransom. Joel, in your introduction, we learned about your current job description, but as we were discussing a little bit earlier, you have quite the background working with farmers in Mexico, Africa, and Nepal. Can you tell listeners about that life and your work before Extension?
1: Sure, yeah, thank you, Hannah. Uh, So when I uh, finished my graduate studies at the University of Minnesota, my first job was uh, with the International Maize and Wheat Improvement Center, which is located just outside Mexico City. And um, I went there to work in the uh, wheat program at the time, and uh, this organization, well, you know one of the founding fathers was Norman Borlaug, so it has quite a history. Uh, and kind of one of the sources of the green revolutionary green Revolution materials that went to South Asia and had such an impact. But you know my job uh, there was to... Assist trainees from coming that came throughout the world to help them with uh, on-farm research approaches. I also kind of provided agronomic support to the breeding programs, and it was it was quite a start. Uh, we actually uh, had to move every six months. I guess we were a type of migrant workers in Mexico. Uh, we'd go from the highlands of of Mexico. In the summer, uh, during the summer season, and and then went to uh, northern Mexico in the state of Sonora in the winter, where they had irrigated high yielding uh, areas. Um, so, that kind of began things. It was not an easy uh, life for a young family, and so I kind of suggested that I, I, to the to the bosses that I take one of the regional opportunities where there wouldn't be six months here or six months there and and eventually I ended up in, in Kenya. So we spent uh, actually 12 years in Kenya and there I worked with young scientists and extension folks um, in developing techniques that would benefit farmers, small-scale farmers. Some of it was on farm research and some of it was uh, training in techniques, uh, research techniques, et cetera. Uh, we had seven countries that uh, the project covered, so I got to see quite a bit of East Africa. Uh, sometimes there, they were at war, and so we had fewer countries to visit, but uh, uh, very interesting to see the different uh, environments. Uh, corn in, in East Africa, for example, is grown from sea level up to about uh, 10,000 feet. And uh, some of the highest yielding corn probably in the world is located in, you know, the high, higher elevations. Uh, I think it's a 10 month cycle. So you can imagine you, har- you plant and 10 months later, you, you harvest. So. Um, and then from there, uh, I took a position, again, still with the same organization in, in Nepal. And, and this was a Swiss funded project uh, focusing on corn in the hill areas of Nepal. So Nepal has very low elevation environments. That's where most of their rice is grown. And then, of course, they have the Himalayas, uh, which uh, no one crops. But in between, there's this mid-hill area. And and actually, corn is the major staple in those areas. And so I worked with uh, the National Research Organization and identify new varieties of corn and helping them with seed production and, and some of the basic agronomics. So I got a pretty good dose of of general agronomy, and uh, you know I got a real sense of uh, how agriculture can impact people's lives, and uh, um, it was a very satisfying experience.
0: Oh, that sounds like a really incredible experience. And now here you are in North Dakota. It doesn't seem as though uh, working for NDsu Extension is as quite as exciting as an extension agronomist professor, and of course your, your emphasis is in small grains and corn. What does your day-to-day life in that job description look like?
1: Well, I tell people I came to Fargo because I needed another exotic place to live. And, you know, if you think about it, that North Dakota is is somewhat exotic in that <clears throat> we have a very... Very interesting environment and, and very intensive agricultural environment, a lot of diversity of soils and lots of opportunities to to grow the food that's needed in, in the world. So I mean it is it, it is a, a very interesting place. So I did have to shift gears a bit as you can imagine. So going from farmers that you know were two acres, three acres in size to, to thousands of acres and no machinery to Significant mechanization, few uh, chemicals, ag chemicals, to uh, you know an extensive array of of inputs that we use in in North Dakota for our farming operations. So it was a bit of a a learning curve. Uh, I think I had learned the principles, the agronomic principles. I just had to adapt them to this new environment. So um, you know, my responsibility is to kind of provide educational opportunities for farmers in North Dakota. And some of that is with uh, written publications and some of that is organizing meetings. And some of that would be actually doing some on-farm or some applied research that uh, would answer questions that farmers have. So I think in a typical year, I do organize meetings. I speak at meetings. I put together publications, uh, you know, particularly uh, every year I put together the um, varietal selection guides for, for, for the small grains corn. and corn. Uh, and then I have quite an array of, of applied agronomic research that I do during the summers. And along the way, I train a few graduate students. I think I've had more than a dozen. And, and uh, that's been a real pleasure for me to interac- interact at that level.
0: You definitely don't have enough keeping you busy, do you, over, over the year? <laughs> but I think that's probably true for a lot of people that work for our Extension. There's always something for us to do and those jobs and what your job description looks like really changes along with the seasons. I mean, um, I'm not doing the same activities or the same programming in June as I would be in December. And I mean, I guess we just kind of change along with the individuals that we're helping to serve and hoping to provide education for, right?
1: Indeed, and I'm I'm sure you're as busy as me, uh, just in different ways. And I look forward though, I must say, to planting a a crop in the spring. Um, And I love it when the last plot is harvested. (laughs) And I love to to work with the data as it comes off the field. It's very interesting and exciting. Usually it's exciting. Sometimes there's some disappointments. Um, I like I like interacting with growers and, and speaking and and putting these publications together. I hate the reviews after I speak but anyway that's <laughs> so not everything is pleasant. <laughs>
0: Right, right. Well, I mean, um, as long as it's constructive criticism is good, but sometimes um, people can get down a negative trail and they need to be pulled back. (laughs) But okay, so moving on to my next question, the title of this podcast is 50 Chances, which is a little bit of a spinoff inspired by the book 40 Chances – Finding Hope in a Hungry World. Now, it's my understanding that you have been working with the author of 40 Chances, Howard Buffett, on a project in Africa and South America. Can you give us a broad overview and of that project and what you're hoping to accomplish through it?
1: Uh, so, uh, the Buffett Foundation did fund some um development projects in Rwanda, specifically. The, I mean, I mean, I think they're involved in many, many different areas of the world, but uh, this particular project was in Rwanda and they had developed some irrigation systems uh, for a dry part of Rwanda. And, uh, and it was, you know, really an interesting approach to provide the water so they, that these farmers didn't have to worry about rainfall. And um, and then we were asked to come and provide kind of educational materials and, um, do some training and, of farmers and their best practices. So it was really interesting. These are very small, very poor. It's probably one of the poorest areas of the world. Uh, people totally dependent on agriculture for their income and they have very small farms, probably a couple of acres, uh, to maybe five acres. And, um, and so it was it was kind of fun to go and see what the challenges were and to try to develop recommendations and then to teach them and uh we um we put together some uh, educational materials I had a you know a graduate student that had just finished that spent uh you know we had funding to employ him to put some of this together and it all got translated and some really nice uh outputs but it was fun to um uh, you know we um have a little video clip that it would be fun to show at some point but uh you know when we had the big group of farmers I think we had 200 in one day and 200 the next day when we were doing some of the training and and we had a little animator that was was kind of keeping everybody excited until everybody got there and we could start and you know he's out there dancing and carrying on and I've often thought, well, wouldn't that be fun as an extension agent to have to have that role of, of, of dancing and singing and keeping the group occupied until everybody got there.
0: <laughs> right. I choose the easier option of just promising people free food, and that's how I bring them in, not my <laughs> entertainment skills.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, th- I think if, uh, if it was my dancing that would entertain people, they, they would be bored pretty quickly. Uh, but, you know, COVID kind of ended our, our involvement there. Unfortunately, we had a couple of training opportunities scheduled this year. And so um, I think that, that now is left with, uh, you know, in individuals that we train and materials that are there. And hopefully that the farmers will continue to to make progress.
0: How would you say this understanding of international agriculture has influenced your work as an extension agronomist?
1: Well, I think the principles uh, that apply um, in agriculture, wherever you are in the world, they're, they're very similar, right? I mean, you want to exploit the environment to maximize yields. You want to use best genetics that are available, and you want to match that with... Uh, Inputs that are going to be required to make sure that you uh, keep the crop fed and and is able to reach the potential that the environment will provide. So, I mean, I, I think you know the nice thing of working internationally is that we usually would have two seasons a year. So I learned a lot faster. You know, I had twice as twice as many opportunities to to kind of learn some of these these things, and that that was a benefit. Um, I also. Uh, I think for my students, I've I've tried to make sure that my students each had an opportunity to travel with me back to either Africa or South America, in a developing country scenario, so they could see how important agriculture is in the livelihood of I mean in the in the actual subsistence of of farmers uh, in the developing world, and and I, I just think that that having that other perspective really is is useful too uh, that this is a you know agriculture is is really really you know it's not just a, a job that produces income for a few families it's it's a it's a it's a way of, of life it's a, a critical to survival for for many people that they need to actually survive on what they produce so you know that perspective I like to share with my students and um, and again I think that just the fact that you're out there learning the principles of agriculture it has an application wherever you go you just need to adapt it
0: Right before I became an extension agent I actually I spent six months abroad I was I stayed in Thailand and Taiwan and while I was there I got to learn a lot about their farming practices and I learned more about growing rice than I honestly knew about growing wheat at the time <laughs> and that was one huge when you talk about the way of life that was one huge takeaway for me is I think sometimes um you don't even think about, you're like, oh, you know, I went to these Asian countries and they must do things differently because they look different than I do or they speak a different language than what I speak and everything. And I mean, my biggest takeaway was just how it doesn't matter if you're in, you know, Headinger, North Dakota or in the middle of Thailand farmers and ranchers they work so hard and they are so passionate about what they do and they're just doing the best they can with the resources that they have and it's just really incredible and then i also had the opportunity to meet people that worked in their version of what we call extension and everything and again those people were super inspiring as well and I know on my wompy days I always kind of think about those individuals and I'm like well I mean I've got friends that are working in extension and trying to make those people's lives easier and educate people and provide good information and I would argue that their job is probably a lot more difficult than my job and my wompy days is probably a good day for them. And so it's just and it's just a lot easier to get up in the morning and feel good about what you're doing and put your all in when you know that there's people around the world that are also working towards that same goal that you are. It's a lot less intimidating, I would say.
1: Yeah, it sounds like you've had that experience and, and you know that's kind of the experience I want my students to have as well.
0: Right. No, I, I think people remember those experiences when you can really th- live that life or see those people and interact and everything now in the book 40 chances it talks about how farmers have 40 growing seasons and thus only 40 chances to make changes and adjustments to the operation now I'll joke and I'll say that maybe I think that it's closer to 50 chances to make changes but we won't split hairs on here I don't want to that's we don't need to Go back and forth on ten years, but um, Howard relates this to his personal aspiration to address the issue of world hunger in forty years. For me, this statement really puts things in perspective, and at least wants me makes me want to do the best I can in whatever I set my mind to. Like, there's literally no time to waste. You got. 40 chances to make a change in the world. From a producer's standpoint, how can they optimize their 40 or 50 chances to implement change into their operation?
1: That's a really good question, and, uh, you know, as I read the book, uh, it was interesting that, um, you know, he talks about learning from experiences, and that we do have a finite amount of uh, of experiences to draw on, or that we will have, and that we ought to make the best out of every one that we have. So, you know, my takeaway from from his book, and I, I think actually he he picked up the forty chance uh, from an extension agent somewhere in Illinois or Nebraska. I'm not not exactly sure. My take home is okay. You need to be learning every year. And you need to be applying what you learned so that you're going to be progressing. Every year is different, but there's a chance to learn something. And I think the important message would be catalog that, put it in the database, and make sure that you exploit that experience so you can build on it, that you don't repeat bad mistakes, but also learn from the good things that, that, that happened and um so you know how how does a farmer in north dakota apply that um maybe i'm jumping ahead of you a little bit here but i'm gonna i'm, uh, you go know, for I'm, it. On, I'm on a roll and so i'm gonna go for it um you know I you know one thing that comes to mind that, that most and i'm going to talk about grain farmers i know you would you probably have more of a ranching focus than than i do but um you know, most most growers now have a a weigh system on their combines, and and I would say that there are quite a few farmers that that don't record what they see in their waste system, right? So you've got this yield monitor. You're driving along. You're learning as you go, but at the end of the day, that data is kind of lost. You might. You know, the farmer might be able to re- remember where the low, low yielding spots were and the high yielding spots, but really, you know, not being able to keep the detailed information from that farm. So I would say, you know, start with a, a yield monitor. And I, I'm not even that concerned about whether it's calibrated or not, but, you know, that the relative information that you're recording from that is, is, is there and documented so that you can come back to it. It just seems like a, you know, a nice start from learning from, from your year. Um, I would also say, you know, do a little bit of experimentation. You only have 40 chances, 40 seasons. Well, can you hasten the learning in a season by mixing things up a little bit? Uh, and again, I, I'm not recommending the types of experimentation that we do. I mean, I, I think I harvest more than a thousand different plots every year, maybe several thousand. And you can see how rapidly we can accumulate information when we have that many different uh, agronomic plots to look at. And so, but what I am suggesting is, that, you know, I think within the uh, ability to... Get out there and farm without without deterring, you know, the the time sensitive operations. But you could certainly put different rates of fertilizer on in in strips and and uh, maybe do some replication of that so that you hasten the learning. You know, so so for example, a nitrogen rich strip and a nitrogen poor strip um, would be a good way to of get a sense of how well you're doing on your nitrogen management, uh, for example. Uh, so, you know, that that's another thing that would come to mind is perhaps do a little bit of an, an experimentation to kind of hasten the learning process.
0: I guess maybe kind of going off of that too, are there particular people or Um, resources that they can utilize as a sounding board I know when I have crazy ideas there's a select few people that I always go to and I'm like okay help me hash out this thought I mean what am I not thinking about right now or how can I push this idea to the next level
1: yeah and I think there are some challenges out there right because there's lots of information sources Uh, maybe too many and some of the information sources are Promoting some of their products and and techniques and uh, and so yeah, I think it's a challenge to filter through all that. And I, I would say you know one one option, and you know perhaps an extension. We don't have all of the the issues addressed, uh, but uh, many of the important issues. There's likely to be some unbiased uh, information from the extension service, so I I certainly start with that, and uh, and if it's not here in North Dakota, it might be in Nebraska and it might be in South Dakota, um, and uh, with the internet, uh, the browsing is pretty easy to to kind of dig up that. But I I I think that's a that's a good way to start. Is you know who's the unbiased sources and try to find those to start the process of, of selecting kind of new approaches.
0: Right. We'll throw in our NDSU plug there. And that's the really cool thing about extension is that it's not just a statewide network, which I would say even our statewide network is very extensive. And I mean, if I ever have a question come through my door and I don't know the answer, I can guarantee you there's a specialist out there that I can turn to. I might not know their name or that they exist at the beginning of the day, but by the end of the day, I'll have my answer to my question and I'll have gained, I would say, a new friend and um, someone that I know I can turn to for help in the future. But then that expands, like you said, to nationwide. I mean, we've got extension agents all over the place that we can reach out to and ask questions. And I think those people that work in extension, they're a pretty special breed. And I probably bias saying that, but I also feel pretty confident in standing by that statement.
1: <laughs> yeah. And it's interesting. Usually the questions I get are not the ones that I have an easy answer to, right? <laughs> either either there's no easy answer or I've never <clears throat> it's a really, really complex problem. I mean the easy questions most growers have already sorted out, right? So it's right, You can Google
0: work. that and get an easy answer. <laughs>
1: um, so more, a lot of times I'll say, I don't know, but I'll get back to you. And 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 generally, uh, like you said, you know, as we sift through the information that's out there, there's some good unbiased information that we can draw on to make a really good answer to most problems that come our way.
0: I have to say I'm, it's kind of nice. It's comforting hearing that you say, oh, I don't know the answer to that, but I'll get back to you because I, that is my favorite line to use and I use it quite frequently. And I just assumed it was because I'm a young new agent with not a lot of experience behind me, but I guess it's important to be a lifelong learner, right? I think that's what we're yeah. really trying to hit home with all of
1: this. Yeah, it's exciting to learn. So, uh so I think that's one of the things that makes this job so interesting is that we have new questions that we have to learn from and, and we get to learn as the farmers are also learning from us.
0: No, for sure. And oftentimes I kind of feel like those producers, they sometimes end up teaching me more than, than what I teach them. I think a lot of teachers also say that as well, how their students really just provide a lot of opportunity for learning there
1: yeah as i as i look back on my career i i guess if you know and i'm i'm retiring in a few months so whoever replaces me my recommendation would be you know probably spend a little more time with uh, some of the growers just sitting on the combine and sitting in the tractor and i i was always a little reluctant to do that i'm shy by nature but uh you know farmers are busy and uh, as well and so uh I, i think that's probably if I had to do it over again, I'd certainly spend more time with, with growers and in some of their operations. I think it would give me a perspective that uh, would help me address their problems more effectively.
0: Well, and I mean, kind of, you were just giving advice to the future person sitting in you know, your position down the road. What advice do you have for young producers looking to make the leap into production agriculture?
1: yeah that's a pretty hard question for someone like me you know I suppose 40 years ago I would have liked to farm but it just didn't seem like it was any reasonable option my father was you know an engineer and we had five acres of irrigated pasture in Idaho and and uh, we kept 20 head up up to 20 head of cows and some of them got out frequently so you know that was my farming background um, and it just did seem possible but you know I'm probably not the best source to answer that question but these are some ideas that have come to me as I've thought about your question one is I would certainly stay connected with the farming community you know whether it's working as a a hired hand or as an agronomist, if you've uh, been, been to school, don't let a year go by that you're not learning from agriculture because you're going to have to apply that uh, if you are successful of getting into, into a farming operation. So I would say stay as closely connected to farming as you possibly can. And I think most people that are interested have some network already established that allows them to do that. And then I would I would certainly say expand your network. You know, it's it's really going to be helpful for you to have a network of people as you try to get into farming, and and that would be you know go to go to the extension meetings, go to you know company sponsored meetings, whatever. So you're around uh, the industry, you're around other farmers. I think that's going to be helpful. Um, and certainly, I wouldn't give up. You know, I I think I I just Assumed it was not going to be an option, so I decided to study it and, and become an, become a an, an agronomist, right, rather than a farmer. And uh, I, I think that there's probably more opportunities than than I th- I would have thought. And it might not be a bad idea to spend quite a bit of time interviewing other young farmers that seem to be making uh, progress in that regard. I'm I'm really encouraged to see at some of our meetings that we have some younger farmers now. So some are obviously making that transition. Good good idea to, to run them down and ask them how they did it.
0: Right. Oh, and that they're a young person and they value extension too. I think we have some really strong supporters that are those older producers and we've built a relationship with them over the years and everything. And I think that's, Something that I, at least, I'm always thinking about is how can I relate with those younger producers and just make them aware of all the great resources through Extension. And I guess this podcast was one way I thought I would try to target that age group and that generation.
1: Yeah, what a good idea. And, you know, and I think, as you mentioned, the resources available from Extension, you know, we have published resources. And most of that, or if not all of that, is online. We have these regular meetings uh, that we spend a lot of time and energy organizing and trying to, you know, get people to attend. Uh, Usually you get a free lunch with it too most of the time, right? And these, these, I think are great resources. I I would, uh, you know, these, I would exploit those if I was a a young farmer. Um, Yeah. We don't maybe aren't as flashy as some of the companies or, or, you know, and maybe we have, Extension specialists that stutter too much, but you know, I would I'd, I think the value of participating in those uh, and using those resources is very very high.
0: No, I completely agree. Now my last question as we round things out domestically and internationally, what gives you hope about the future of agriculture?
1: Well, you, you're, you're probably aware of, of the challenge we have ahead of us of the growing population and the uh, amount of food that needs to be produced. And we talk a lot about that in our, in agriculture science. And my students invariably, when they write their thesis, I'll get a paragraph somewhere about, you know, the challenge of feeding the future. And uh, it's a real thing. I mean, at the moment, we, we seem to, in America, to be dealing with surpluses that have driven down prices and have been kind of problematic. But, but uh, that doesn't mean that there isn't a real demand for commodity. And if it's not this year, it'll be next year and et cetera. So there is a challenge in agriculture. Uh, it's a formidable challenge because we don't have more land and uh, we probably are moving into an era of more restrictions on some of the uh, inputs that we use. But what it encourages me is that, uh, you know, even with these incredible changes in yields uh, that we've seen, and you know, corn is probably the most uh, dramatic, um, where, you know, farmers that used to get 100 bushels in North Dakota are disappointed if they get less than 200 some of them you know what i mean even within their own lifetime this is this has occurred um and it seems like that they're certainly up to the moment in most of our our crops that that we haven't seen a significant leveling off you know that those yield increases continue to just plod forward and and you know we've got great genetics we've got new techniques that allow us to exploit those genetics we've got you know better better equipment so that we can plant things more uniformly and in a more timely manner uh we have a you know better access to information than we've ever had and so i think that uh you know there's a there's a lot of hope that we'll be able to to keep up um and uh agriculture will will be a great place to be working in in the future as well
0: well I just want to say thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to sit down and chat with me and i'm especially grateful that we were able to chat before you retired and everything i have really enjoyed your insight and getting to know your background and everything so thank you thank you
1: <laughs> thank you anna this was enjoyable
0: all right well that's a wrap if you found yourself tapping along to our theme music Those rights go out to Chuck Suki. He sure can write a catchy tune. Thursdays are launch days for new episodes. A final thanks to Nolan Dix over on the mix board. Hair and makeup by Country Style. Coffee provided by George's and the Owl. Sure to keep you wide-eyed from sunup to sundown. And of course, to you, the listener, for your continued support. Agriculture Applied can be heard wherever podcasts can be found. If you're having trouble or have any sort of question, give me a call at 701-567-2735 and just ask for Hannah. Until next time, take care.